is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to pick up our study of Second Peter in uh, chapter 1, verse 12 this morning. But before we do that, let's do a small or a short synopsis of the book, and then we will uh, do a short review as well. The letter is divided into three chapters. The chapters kind of divide by three subject uh, subjects or three different headings. Chapter 1 is, I'm going to say it's about fruitfulness. It's about following Jesus. It's about growing in your faithfulness to the Lord. We're going to finish that chapter this morning. Chapter 2 is primarily about false teaching and false teachers. And we'll be looking at that. And then chapter 3 is, uh, I'm going to say it's about the future kingdom. It's about the return of Jesus and and the the kingdom that's coming. Someone asked me this week, why did I call this series uh, Pressing On with Caution and, and with Hope? And the reason I did is because chapter one is about pressing on to be like Jesus. Chapter two is about being cautious with those teachers around us and false teaching. And and chapter three is about the hope that uh, awaits for us because we follow the Lord Jesus. In chapter one, I appreciated uh, your reading, Michael, because I was going to do this kind of review of of the chapter so far. But as we begin, Peter says that God has given us everything we need to be a godly person, everything we need to be like Jesus. And he's wrapped all that up in the promises that he's made for us. And if you were here that Sunday, you'll remember that I suggested that maybe the promises Peter had in mind were the promises of Jesus' presence, that he was always going to be with us, and the promise of his power, that he'd given us his spirit, and so therefore we had power from God. And then I said, and I keep going back there a whole lot, but there was the promise of paradise to come. And, um, and I said that, I still believe that is so important because when, when life here is so broken and so hurting and you're having times where you drop the ball, right? There's, there's this hope of the future. There's this hope that, that God in his redemption is going to create a world where there is no more sin and there is no more brokenness. And Jesus rules and reigns over us. I kind of chuckled to myself this morning when someone was talking about globalism and how it's not necessarily a good thing. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's a good thing right now either. But I tell you what, globalism one day will be a good thing when Jesus rules over all the world, right? And under one government, we'll have one government under Jesus. What a day of rejoicing that will be when that when that comes about. And, and then Peter continues on and he lays out for us. He says, God, having given us all these promises, he says he's, he's given us what we need to have the kind of character that God wants us to have, to be like the Lord Jesus. And so again, uh, Michael just read it, but last week we talked about it. He says, he begins with faith. Remember this? He says, to your faith, supplement it with, he said, goodness in your text. I told you that I thought that was excellence. And just that I think that what Peter means is that we should try to strive for excellence in everything we do. And the knowledge, again, I I took away the, the... the Christian or the moral adjectives that are often attached to those. And I said that God desires for us to grow in knowledge of his word for sure. But God just desires for us to grow, I believe, in knowledge, period. 
And he wants us to grow in self-control. And then I think it was maybe perseverance and then godliness. And I'm not sure I'm getting the order right, but uh, brotherly affection and then, and then agape or uh, culminating in love. And you remember we talked about how we begin with faith and we end with agape. What a great thing, right? You know, and everything in between, we should be becoming like Jesus. And God has given us everything we need for that. And then he kind of, he kind of brings all that down and says, but here's a warning. Here's a warning. He says, if you're not growing in character, if this is not becoming true of you, he says, you're going to be unfruitful and you are blind. And he says, the path that leads to the eternal kingdom, you've stumbled on that path if you are not growing and these things are not becoming yours in greater measure. So that's where we ended our study. So let's pick up in, in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, I will always remind you of these things. Now, you've been studying the scripture, most of you long enough to know that when you see the therefore, it, it harkens back to what's come before. And it says, because of what I've already said, the, the author or writer, when he says, therefore, he says, because of all that I've said, then here, this is now true going forward. So he's got a therefore there. So we look back and what, what is he saying? Therefore, what's the therefore about? Well, I think it goes right back to the immediate warning where he said, you know, if, the, if you're not growing in these things, you've become unfruitful and you've stumbled on the path that leads to life. And so he says, therefore, I am going to continue to remind you of these things. Now, the word remind there, uh, it actually has to do with like waking someone up, arousing someone from sleep. Peter wanted his readers to be woke, you know, not woke like our cultural woke, right? But he wanted them to be woke in the sense that he wanted them to wake up and not be asleep about certain things. And again, what are those things? Those things are that God has given us everything we need to be like Jesus, everything we need to not sin, everything we need to be and live a transformed life. He's given us everything we need. We are without excuse. And uh, so then he adds, if you follow along in your text, we haven't read this as a whole, and I'm not going to, we're just going to read it as we go along. But if you look in verse uh, 12, he says, <clears throat> Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. And so he recognizes that he's writing people that it's not, he's not writing to people that don't get it. He's writing to people that do get it. He's writing to people that are mature, or I'm assuming he's calling them mature since he says they're established in this truth. They are definitely awake people. But he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to remind you. I'm going to continue to try to rouse you out of sleep, even though you already are awake, even though you already are established in this truth. Then he continues in verse 13. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to me. So both Paul and Peter talk about our time on this earth as like living in a tent. And I think that has to do with the temporary nature of our lives now, that it's going to come to an end. And Paul, when he talks about this, he talks about the permanent dwelling that we're going to live in when Jesus comes again, right? As juxtaposed, in this case, in Peter's writings, but also in Paul's, that right now it's like we're living in a tent. And he basically says to his readers, Jesus has made it clear to me I'm going to be folding up my tent before too much longer, and I'm not going to be here anymore. Death is going to soon overtake me. And so he has a little 
little extra motivation to remind them. So in verse 15, he says, And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Not even do I want to remind you, not even do I just want to remind you and I want to wake you up. Uh, I, I want to wake you up so that when I'm gone, you'll still be awake and you'll still remember these things that I have told you. So let me draw two principles from what Peter just said. Here's the first one that I, that I think would be a principle for us today. Following Jesus isn't a place we arrive at, but it's a person we pursue. I want to say it again, okay? Following Jesus isn't this place that we're trying to get to, or, or even a certain level of maturity we're trying to get to. Following Jesus is this person that we're going to be pursuing our entire lives until death overtakes us and we fold up our tent, right? We're going to be pursuing after Jesus. Peter says to these people, at least as, least as best I understand it, he's saying to these people, you guys are established. You're, you're mature. But nonetheless, I'm going to remind you. And the reason, the implication in, in what Peter writes there is simply this, that just because you're established today doesn't mean you'll be established tomorrow. Just because you're mature today doesn't mean you're going to continue to be mature tomorrow. So therefore, Peter says, I'm just going to continue to remind you. And we find this all throughout the New Testament, and we find it in our lives today. In 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul says to Timothy, he says um, to Timothy, have faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul basically says to Timothy, he says, hey, be careful, lest you make shipwreck of your faith, unless you ruin it all by, by not pressing on and being faithful, he says, hey, be careful. In his second letter to Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me and having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. So there's someone else that was following Jesus, but now no longer is following Jesus, but has loved the Lord. I mean, loved the world and returned to the world or returned to not following Jesus. And, and from the beginning of the kingdom, this is how it's always been. People have started and they've started following Jesus, but they have fallen away. And some, listen to this, from Hebrews chapter 6, I believe it is, some have not just tasted of the good things of God and fallen away, but there have been people who have become really mature Christians. At least from our perspective, they've become really mature Christians, and then they've turned their backs on God. And then they've rejected God. And, and so the principle that I think that, that we can learn from what Peter is saying here is that this isn't a position we're trying to get to. This is a person that we're always going to be following. We always need to be following. And so Peter says, I'm always going to be reminding you uh, of that. You know, we argue today in evangelical circles, we argue today over whether someone, well, if someone falls away, and they all fall away, we've seen people fall away. So we argue over whether they were in the kingdom and then left the kingdom or whether they were never in the kingdom at all. Peter doesn't address that. Here's what Peter says, I'm going to always remind you. I'm going to always stir you up. Even though, even though right now, even though right now you're there, you're established in these truths, I'm going to remind you. And I think the principle is, the principle is it's not about it's not about getting to maturity. It's about following Jesus every day, hopefully in maturity, but it's about following Jesus every single day. 
How many of us know people that have been a part of our church family here who are no longer following Jesus? I don't mean people who have moved away to another city, another place, another church family. I'm talking about people who no longer are following Jesus. There's quite a few of them. How about our own children? We've got children that have come through our church that when they were little, they were loving Jesus and following Jesus, but today they're not loving and following Jesus. And so we need to be constantly um, aware of the fact that this isn't a state we're getting to. This is a person, Jesus, that you need to be pursuing your entire life. So the second principle that I came away from in reading Peter's words here is this, that we should remind one another always of the truth. That's the second principle. That, you know, that's what Peter's doing. So this is what Peter's doing. The principal takeaway for one of the principal takeaways for me in this is that that's what I need to be doing. And there's no harm in remembering. There's no harm in repetition, I should say. In fact, when I was in preaching class, this is what they told me. They said, tell them what you're going to say and then say it and then tell them again what you said, right? Because they won't remember between when you start and when you finish. And isn't it true? I mean, 10 minutes after this is over, some of you won't be able to say what I just said, right? I mean, you won't even know what I talked about. You have to think about it. And I'm not throwing stones at you. I preach it and I'm the same way, right? So uh, I get it. But we need to, we need to use repetition petition in our life because it reinvigorates us and it reminds us. And the principle here is that every one of us should be committed to reminding one another of these great truths that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is our King and that he's given us everything we need to be godly. And, and so therefore we need to be pressing. We need to be reminding one another always of these things. Paul says in Romans 15, 15, he says in this letter he wrote to the church at Rome, he says, nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some of the points because of the grace given me by God. To Timothy, Paul said this. He said, remind them of these things. Talking about the Ephesians. Jude chapter 1 verse 5, Jude says, now I want to remind you. The Old Testament's filled with reminders, visual reminders. Remember where they went? They set up these pile of stones. And you know what they were supposed to do with the pile of stones? They were supposed to remind their children of what those stones represented. So they were setting up their Ebenezers everywhere, their reminders. C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his Narnian books, In the Silver Chair. Aslan is teaching Jill to repeat his instructions uh, and not forget them. She protests, and Aslan says, you remember the lion that represents Christ or God, says, child, perhaps you, you do not quite see quite as well as you think, but the first step is to remember. Repeat to me in order the four signs. And like most of us, Jill goes on and she forgets the four signs and those on the journey with her pay, uh, pay the price of that. Peter is telling us, never forget. And he says, you should be, rem I think he's saying to us, the principles, you should remind one another of these things. You should be the one. So he says, as long as I'm in this life, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you remember. We should be doing that as well, reminding one another. Now I've got two practical applications for you. Uh, about this last principle. And here's the first, uh, here's the first application. Parents, it's your job to remind your children of these things continually. And so dads and moms, if you do not have a, a family time for, for you to remind your children daily, you're missing out on a great opportunity to be reminding your children daily about these things. 
So, so parent, it's your responsibility, or grandparents sometimes, it's your responsibility to remind your children. And it's not my responsibility as, as a pastor, yes. And it's not, it's not the Sunday school teachers and it's not the rest of us, but yet the principle is the rest of us help you. But parents, when it comes to reminding someone, Man, the first application of that is you need to be reminding your children all the time the things of God. Number two application was uh, we should be here at this weekly gathering on Sundays to remind ourselves so that you are reminding you and I'm reminding you and you're reminding me and we're all reminding each other of the great truths that we affirm. That, uh, that Jesus, again, has given us everything we need to be like him. And he has given us this promise of eternal life. And he's come to take up residence. And we should be reminding each other every week. And, and so the Bible tells us, don't forsake getting together on a weekly basis. Does it say weekly? Don't for, no, it doesn't say weekly. It says, don't, for, don't forsake getting together as is the habit of some, but all the more encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near. Well, Jesus, I think, instructed us, or at least the church has, has said, we're going to gather on Sundays. We're going to gather on the first day of the week to remember that Jesus rose from the dead, and we're going to do this. We're going to encourage one another. And so, so family, I want to just tell you, here's the application to this principle that Peter gives us about reminding one another. It is be here so that you can be reminded and so that you can remind so that you can open your mouth and talk about the goodness of God in your in your lives in the past week and um, you need to prioritize this gathering you need to prioritize this gathering. When, when I was a student at Franklin Heights Baptist, when I was a student in college and I was attending Franklin Heights Baptist Church, I've told this story before, but I'm coming out of Sunday school, college and career class, and we're the last coming out, me and the teacher. And uh, so I'm, I'm 19, 18 years old. He's walking out with me and he puts his arm around me as we're walking down the hall. And he goes, oh, Jimmy, so good to have you here. And I'm a missionary kid, right? And so I know what he means. It's so nice to have the missionary kid as a part of our church, right? And I think he's about to lay it on thick about how wonderful it is to have me at their church. But what he says to me, he says, but I got a question for you. He says, man, why don't you attend more faithfully? He really asked it. He said, how come you don't come but every three weeks is what he actually said to me, right? And you know, that was convicting. I mean, this, God used that in my life. He used it to, to, for me to ask the question to myself, why, why are you not faithfully committed to this body of Christ? That, you know, why? why? And, and so that was the beginning of God beginning to do some things in, in my life. Now back to the letter. Why is he committed to uh, reminding them this truth? Because he wants them to wake up. He wants them to stay alert. Even though they're alert right now, he wants them to stay alert. That's why you and I, I believe, should be, we should be committed to this weekly meeting so that we can encourage one another. We can remind one another. We can wake one another up. I forgot to say this. Let me go back. I want to say it nonetheless. You know that verse I quoted you about that you might stir one another up to love and good deeds? Man, I just knew it. I just knew when I looked that verse up, it was going to be the same word that Peter used. It wasn't the same word. It was a different word. But I think it's the same truth, right? Don't forget gathering together so you can remind one another, so you can stir one another, wake one another up. Now, 
As we move on, now we're going to finish the chapter. Peter is going to give us two reasons here why he's so committed to reminding them. All right? He's going to give us two reasons why he's so committed to reminding them that, that what Jesus has done. And he, he gives them really two monumental reasons why. Here's the first one. Peter says, I will not stop reminding you because I was there. Because Peter was there. He's an eyewitness. Let's look at verse 16. We did not, for we did not for we, so that kind of for I'm kind of talking about all this other stuff, because we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him uh, from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the mountain. Now we talked about this two weeks ago and I was premature in my talking about it because here Peter develops it. But Peter starts off and he says, We didn't follow cleverly devised myths, what I told you. And uh, so the Talmud, if you know what the Talmud is, the Talmud is like a, a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. It was written, I think, around 200 to 400 AD, if I'm, I didn't look it up, but I think that's right. But the Talmud was filled with, with all kinds of myths. And myths were, were stories that weren't necessarily factually true true so as to help illustrate some spiritual truth. So they had good intentions, sort of like Aesop's fables or something like that, right? They had a lot of clever myths in it. And Peter, I think he's alluding to that when he says this. Listen, everyone, what I shared with you, what I told you, this wasn't a clever miss. I was, a, I was on the front row. I was an eyewitness to everything I've told you about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he's going to do. I was a front row guy. I got to see it all. And indeed, Peter was from the very beginning. Remember this? So Peter, you know, he's just now beginning to follow Jesus. I mean, he's gone to meet Jesus. He's, he's been fishing all night. He comes in. Jesus meets him down at the shore. They've just washed their nets, just put them up. They've been fishing all night long. And Jesus said, hey, let's put out and go fishing. And, uh, he, and you know, just Peter, man, you don't catch fish in the day, that kind of thing. You remember the story, right? And he puts out and he fills the boat up so much that it almost sinks. Peter was right there with the fish all amongst his feet. So Peter saw that. Peter saw Jesus walk on water. He walked on water too. Jesus saw Jesus, I mean, Peter saw Jesus stand up and calm the storm. He saw him feed 4,000 and 5,000 with just a few little food, just a little bit of food. He saw Jesus uh, raise the son of the lady from Nain as they're going to the funeral procession, right? And Jesus stops the procession and raises the young man. He saw Lazarus come out of the grave. He saw Jesus make people blind, something that no one did. Well, actually, no one raised people from the dead either, but he saw all of that. He saw Jesus murdered, died, and rose again. Peter was a front row guy. He was on the front row. He saw it all. But you notice in the text the thing that Peter points to? Did you notice that? He doesn't point to the storm. I think I might have pointed to the storm. I think I might have pointed to Lazarus, right? I, you know, but here, here's who Peter points to. He points to the time he's on the mountain, and he sees the vision of Moses and, uh, and Jesus, and is it Elijah that he's with, I think? Yeah, Elijah. He, he, he points to that vision, 
And he says, and we heard his voice. We heard the voice of the majesty on high. That's what he points to. He said, man, I was a front row guy. I got to see it all. I got to hear his voice. That was evidently the thing that just impressed Peter the most. Now, in a court of law, a, a personal eyewitness goes a long way. In the Old Testament, you had to have more than one witness. You can reject Peter's testimony, but he wasn't alone in it. Remember this? John says, hey, we were there. We saw it firsthand. We're an eyewitness to it as well. Matthew, in his writings, the Apostle Paul wrote when he said more than 500 people still remain, that it were personal eyewitnesses to Jesus. 500 people. So the witness is clear. Peter is saying, we were there. We saw it. We experienced it. And so therefore, you know what? I can't help it. I'm just going to continually remind you of all of these great truths because I was there and I saw it. And then the second thing, we're finished with this. The second thing is prophecy confirmed his story. Here's why he can't help but remind them always, because prophecy confirmed what he had told them. Uh, Jesus, and, and there's a couple of ways to take this. I'm just going to tell you how I take it. I, Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophets. And so in verse 19, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's what Peter says. It's not just my witness. It's not just that I was, I'm not just telling you what I saw. What we saw was also the confirmation of the Old Testament and the prophecies concerning the Messiah who was to come. They say that Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies. Um, whether that's true, I, I don't know whether he fulfilled 300 uh, or not, but he filled, he filled a lot. But here, here he, Peter says to them, he says, you're going to do well to pay attention to these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And he gives them two reasons. One, he says, because they're like a light shining in the dark world until the day dawns when Jesus comes again. Verse 19. In other words, they're, they're, until Jesus returns and daylight breaks for us all and the new kingdom arise, arises, until that day, he says, we're kind of like in a dark world. And, and these prophecies are like a bright light leading you to the Lord Jesus. You remember the story of the, of the admiral and his battleship, and, he, and he's, he's going through the sea, and he sees another ship coming at him with the bright light. And so he gets on the radio, and he says, this is Admiral Jeremiah Smith. <clears throat> he said, alter your course 10 degrees to the south over. And <clears throat> on the radio, the light doesn't move, keeps coming at him. And on the, on the radio, he hears, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. Now he's appalled by the message. He says, Private Johnson, this is Admiral Smith. I order you immediately to alter your course to the south 10 degrees. Over. A second time, the, uh, the voice comes back and he says, all due respect, Admiral, um, I order you to alter your course immediately 10 degrees north. Over. Now fuming with anger, he, uh, he just can't believe this impudent sailor is saying that to him. He says, Private Johnson... I can have you court-martialed. <coughs> Excuse me, i got to tickle my throat. I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. And the private responds. He said, Admiral Smith, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. So uh, Peter is saying, I've told that story too many times. Peter is saying, <laughs> Peter is saying that, these prophecies are like a lighthouse in a dark ocean. 
And they guide us and they tell us where to go and tell us where truth is. And the second thing he says, why we should pay attention to these uh, these prophecies. And I love this. He's saying because prophecies don't come from men, they come from God. And so therefore, here's the implication. Therefore, if Jesus has fulfilled the, if we have the prophetic word made sure in Jesus, then what we're hearing is we're hearing the voice of God and these prophecies tell us Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, everything Peter said about Jesus is true. So verse 20, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These prophecies were were not fulfilled, were not the fabrication of men's hearts. And the fulfillment of them tells us that they came from God. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm the only one that knows the future. You want to know how you can know whether it's God speaking or not? Does, does he fulfill the, does it fulfill, can he, can he predict the future? That's what God says in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so God writes prophecies concerning Jesus, and then he brings them to pass. And uh, so whether it's 300 or not, I don't know, but I want to read you two prophecies and then we'll be done. And I want to read you two prophecies that, uh, from prophets that uh, just, I think, make Peter's point. Here's Psalm 22. Psalm 22. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read most of it. It starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have we heard that? On the cross, right? Jesus, I believe that Jesus quoted Psalm 22.1 on the cross to point us to this prophecy. Because let me read you what it says beginning with verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of, my, out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You, you put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments amongst themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far from me. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword. My only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I say that, I read that that prophecy to you because it's just so clearly a description of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus points us to it on the cross. And one more prophecy from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Got to read this one, right? Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And through the Lord make his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered amongst the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I kind of want to comment on them, but the hour is getting late. But those two prophecies just so clearly point us to Jesus. They so clearly point us to Jesus. And this is Peter's point. I will always remind you. I will always remind you. I'll never stop reminding you because it's Jesus you need to follow. And just because you're following today doesn't mean you'll be following tomorrow. So I'm going to continue to remind you. And I'm going to remind you because I was there and I saw it. I'm going to remind you because Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies that were about him. I think the major takeaway for us this morning is that we follow Jesus based on objective realities. We follow Jesus on the eyewitness testimony of others. We follow Jesus on the, on the God-authenticating prophecies of the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. And we can believe what he has done and what he said. So he has conquered death for us. We have a sure footing in the eyewitness testimony and the prophetic predictions come true. Therefore, therefore, let us press on to be like Jesus. Let us press on to love Jesus. Let's press on to obey Jesus. Let us press on to serve Jesus. Let us press on to be like Jesus, growing in every aspect of our life so that we look like him. I don't mean wear the beard he wore. We don't even know what he looked like. I mean, look like him in his character, in his kindnesses and his goodness, his holiness. Let's press on. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.